Yep. It's a simple yep. philosophy. And that's where I would say that's what you take away from this book as a manager of people. Mm-hmm. It's allowing failure, allowing people to, to get out there and try. This is the Executive Book Review, Episode 3, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. With your hosts, Mark Wittig, Rob Wykall, Marisa Ortiz, and Malcolm Kuhn. Brought to you by My Education Solutions. Rob, let everyone know what the Executive Book Review is all about. The Executive Book Review is in San Antonio, Texas, and it's an opportunity for those of us with busy lifestyles to get an introduction and a piece of executive books without having to take the time to read them. There's Houston, Corpus, and San Antonio, so a multitude of books that you can go to executivebookreview.com to experience these book reviews, or the Cliff's Notes for executive books. Did you know 33 million people qualify for student loan forgiveness, but only a handful are aware it exists? My Education Solutions, located in San Antonio, Texas, is the leading national expert in student loan forgiveness. As a consumer advocacy organization, we provide financial wellness education, resources, and a free calculator that shows you how much forgiveness you are legally entitled to up front. It's our job to help people make more informed decisions to reduce their student loan debt in the fastest and least expensive way possible. We have saved our clients more than $150 million and cut their repayment periods in half. Visit our website at mydusolutions.com or give us a call at 800-618-1170. My Education Solutions, your student loan forgiveness experts. All right, let's start by introducing ourselves, and then we'll jump right into the book, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. I am Marisa Ortiz with the Global Learning and Development. I'm Rob Wykall. Mark Wittig. Malcolm Cook. So Black Box Thinking is an amazing book, and you know the, the biggest takeaway from Black Box Thinking for me was that this is really a book about how success happens. And it really points to the stigma that we place on failure in the world. And more importantly than that, the stigma that we put on our kids around failure. Like they've got to get a certain score, they can't, it's not okay to try and fail, soccer games with no scores, you know, it's not okay to be on the losing team, everybody wins, that whole attitude, right? Um, and there are, there are hundreds of stories, in the, maybe not hundreds, there's dozens of stories in the book um, around the aviation industry and around other industries about how they deal with, with failure. And that's why he called it black box thinking, was the aviation industry's done a really good job of, of assessing when failure happened, what was the cause, without the element of blame associated with that. And in fact, uh, pilots, if they report something, I think within seven days, a safety issue within seven days, they, they enjoy amnesty for that. Um, but they do, a, you know, and, and the early days of aviation, there were a lot of people who were killed in, in flights because of human error, because of pilot, pilot error, because of air, uh, weather, all the factors. It's a highly complex system. And uh, they learned from that. The industry learned that we need to learn from that. And now with technology, they literally can track tens of thousands of data elements in real time for flights. So it's not now they're in a position where uh, with 
you don't have to look at a black box think a black box to see what happened. You could actually point to trends that are happening now so that you can maybe avert some problems. But um, when, when we start to deal, the biggest reason to read this book is to redefine your relationship to failure because we've all failed. We've all had failure. It's just part of life. You may have failed in business. You failed in personal relationships. And there's one story in the book about a group of students. And the professor walks in. It's an art class. They're going to be doing pottery. And the professor walks into the classroom and the very first day and divides the class into two parts. And he says, this half over here, your final grade is going to depend on that one perfect piece that you create out of this class. You're going to be judged. You're going to give me your best piece of, of artwork, of pottery, and that's your whole grade is going to depend on that. But you have the whole semester to create that. This other half, you are going to be graded on the sheer quantity of, of uh, pottery that you create. Now, as you can imagine, what happened is that the people who had the highest quality were the ones in the second half. The ones who just, they just did, they started turning stuff out. They were going to turn in as much as they could to get the highest grade. And their work consistently, by the end of the semester, showed a higher quality. And, you know, I think that story points to something in our society that we forget that it's okay to fail. You know, it's, it's okay to, to, how we get better and how we build success is on that failure. You know, not, not cranking up the best pot the very first time I sit down at the, what do they call it, the wheel? Mm-hmm. Right? Pottery wheel. Yeah, the pottery wheel. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it takes practice. And it's only through that practice that I, that I really achieve success. And another good thing we can look at, we just finished with the Olympics, right? And you see those athletes and they're phenomenal. Well, they didn't start out that way. Some of them have been working for literally years or maybe their whole life to become who they are when they walk up to that starting line or when they walk up to that game at the Olympics, right? And, it, you know, we look at that and we like to say, oh, wow, look at, look at how successful, look at how good they are. But they got there by being really bad at first and working on it and working on it and working iteratively, making small adjustments. You can also look at the technology world. You know, technology, we have a world that's built on failure. You know, we have a world that's built on science who developed at an early stage, okay, let's let's investigate, does this really work the way we think it works? Mm-hmm. And no, it doesn't. Okay, well, that's not, let's look at a different thing. Let's try something else. Let's, you know, it's the scientific process. Mm-hmm. We try something, it fails. We try something, we fail. We try something, and then it works. And... Our whole society is built on that. We have cell phones today and cars and because, you know, people built stuff and it didn't work. Henry Ford's first four companies were failures. It wasn't until his fifth. And it may have been the first three and the fourth one, right? But, you know, they talk about that in the book is there's no overnight success. You think okay. about the products we buy today <clears throat> were, uh, were the products we bought five years ago or mm-hmm. that we thought were successful or we, know we wouldn't buy them today. Right. Yeah, look at the first iPhone that came out. If you remember the first iPhone in 2007 or whatever year it was, right? Mm-hmm. And to us now, that's a clunky brick, mm-hmm. right? And, and probably couldn't even run the software that we use. But it was the talk of the town 11 years ago. So the continuous improvement mindset is, is vital to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, iterative improvement. Yeah. 
So the philosophy is go out and do more than just that really do, what keep doing. black box thinking yeah. is. Keep doing, keep doing, yeah. And, and he uses black box thinking because of the way the aviation industry really deals with failure. That it's not a personal phenomenon, right? It's a, it's a hey, something happened, and we can keep that from happening in the future if we if we look at that. So it really is okay. Well, this this was a failure. See, all a failure is in the world is that we didn't get the expected outcome. If you look at success in the dictionary, it's that things came out as we planned, right? That's all success is. And if we can get away from oh, I'm bad, I'm wrong, there's a lot of blame. You know, and, and unfortunately, we live in a society that when something bad happens, what's the first thing that happens? People want More. somebody's head on a yeah. stake. They, want, they, want, to, they yeah. want a scapegoat. They want to blame somebody. Punishment. They, they want punishment. This mm-hmm. should, anything that somebody has a judgment that this shouldn't have happened. Whereas if we could just take a step back and look, okay, well, look, that happened. Okay, well, that's not a favorable outcome. How do we alter our behavior? How do we alter our, our skills and our talents so that we don't get that outcome again? It reminds me of the I Ching mm. and Chinese philosophy, the book of changes mm-hmm. that defines um, what says that failure doesn't exist. There is only bitter or sweet reality. That is so great. Look, there is no such thing as failure. If you look out in the world... Unless you choose, correct? It, if you right. stop. No, no, I mean really. If you look out in the world, there's no failure. Look out in nature. No. There's no failure. There's, you know, waterfalls, there's trees, there's, you know, but we don't look at a tree and we think, well, that tree grew all wrong, right? The tree just grew the way the tree grew. Yes. Right? Failure comes from where? It comes from our language. It comes from us making we say a word that's called failure and then we point to something and we say that's a failure wow we label it it all arises in language the power of the word right exactly we create failure we create, with our words we with, do it's from our rigidity in our minds we manifest it with right. the word we do we say this shouldn't be that way it's a failure but that's but how it exists in the world right like yes. you look at this coffee cup, if it had a hole in it and it wasn't holding the water, yes. right, or the coffee, yes, right, we would look at and we would say, well, that's a failure as far as a coffee cup is concerned, right? Yes. But it's not. It's just a cup with a hole in it. You just got to drink from the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Facts, right? Yes. Or maybe it's 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 meant to drip like, water in a successful yeah. right. And that's a that's yeah. a dumb example, right? But it's oh, but it clear. it points to how we create that that. Failure out of our language. Failure is a social construct. Yeah, it totally is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it only exists in language. What's the impact on our society with our failure mentality? Oh, I think it's huge. You think about you think about the number of people who don't start businesses because they're afraid, they're afraid to fail, or they don't leave the company. Mm-hmm. They're working in a company and it's sucking their soul. And they hate what they do, but they, they're afraid to go out because of how they might be labeled if they fail. Or, or we listen to our family members or the mm-hmm. people that are close. And often it's the people that are closest to us that warn us, don't try that. You don't want to fail. Right? You don't want to look bad. Mm-hmm. Right? I think there's a huge impact on our society because of our attitude towards failure. And you know, and you can see it in our kids too. Right? My nephews play soccer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, when they were little, you know, they would play these games where they didn't keep score. 
you know? So everybody leaves a winner. We're not teaching our kids to deal with, fa- with failure. And I promise you, this is a side note, but every adult at those games walked away knowing exactly what the score was. Every kid did, too. Yeah, of course the they kids, did. Of course when they I've did. Been a, the kids still ask. Yeah. Who had the most points? Who won? Right. They want to know. They want to know. They want right? to know. But, yeah. Yeah. but there's such a stick. It's not okay. There's another example in the book where, where a teacher actually rewards kids for wrong answers, right? Because they're putting themselves out there. And it becomes, it becomes more of a, and kids who are in an environment where it's okay to be wrong will try things over and over and over until they get the answer. I think that's key. I think it's not about failure, but about the reward behind winning. Mm-hmm. My four-year-old loves this baking show on Netflix, which I play because it's not a cartoon. So, um, and I think what she likes the most is when someone wins and the celebration behind winning. Mm-hmm. And she says, I won, I won. She, she's not baking. <laughs> she's not in the show. But she just loves the celebration around the person who wins. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with not winning. Uh, but, you know, if there's a little celebration for those of us who didn't win, mm-hmm. that were part of the process, then that would remove the stigma, right, of losing. Right, right. Yeah, the, another key element of the book is this, this term called cognitive dissonance. And it's, it's really that, that I can't be with something that goes against what I already believe. And so there's example after example in the book in both law enforcement. Have you ever, have you ever you've heard somebody in law enforcement or maybe an attorney on an opposing side who the judge lets the, the defendant off and the prosecutor says, I don't know how, but I know he's guilty, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And there are things even that we absolutely know. Mm-hmm. And we can't be with evidence that is contrary to what we already know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty absurd. Some of the examples in the book, especially around law enforcement, even when people faced with exoneration due to DNA testing, they still think they did it. They still think they did it. And they come up with these elaborate stories, elaborate stories that are like, oh, well, how they justified it. It justifies that this person's still guilty. And one, one of the examples in the book, the guy, he, the DNA testing came back, proved he was innocent. It still took six years to get him out of prison. Six years. Imagine that. Imagine what that's like, right? But we can't be with the fact that, well, I could be wrong. So how do we, uh, as fellow adults, interact in our office Mm -hmm. changes, and how do we apply it also to our to the youth coming up? What's, What's the solution? I think in two ways. Number one is is start to notice for yourself where you make failure wrong, both for yourself and other people, maybe people on your team, right, at work, or even people, your kids at home, or your spouse at home, or your partner, right? Start to start to look, well, there's really, you know, we tried something that didn't work. It's nobody's fault, it just didn't work. Now what do we adjust? He uses a great example at the end of the book for, for golf players, whether you play golf or not, I think it's a great example. You know, when you're out there practicing, and you can apply this to any sport, right? Basketball, um, you're shooting at a hoop, you don't make it, you make an adjustment, you try again, you try again. Same thing with golf. You shoot, it goes one way or it goes another way, and then you, you adjust your, your stance or you adjust your swing and you take another shot. And it's all about that iterative practice. 
And he said, and the, the example in the book is, now what if you were actually playing golf in the dark, where you would take a shot, but you couldn't see where the ball went, right? You're just shooting golf balls into the dark, right? There's no feedback. And, you know, one of the things is us, not, us having a relationship to failure where it's wrong and not getting feedback for that failure and then adjusting our behavior so that that failure doesn't continue to happen is as ludicrous as playing golf in the dark. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not going to get any better at golf. We're just going to keep shooting balls into the dark, mm-hmm. you know. And so a lot of it is just mm-hmm. is being open to that feedback. And there's three questions, you know, at the very end of the book that he asked himself um, that were, you know, do you do you fail in your judgments? And then do you ever get access to the evidence that shows where you might be going wrong? And are your decisions ever challenged by objective data? You know, and if you answered, you know, if your answer to any of these questions is no, you're almost certainly not learning. You're just playing golf in the dark. That's par for the course. (laughs) Perfect. Makes me think of, uh, I can't remember where I've seen this, but two companies in which that do research and one company, uh, the researchers, when they fail on something, they're just told, it's cool, keep going, mm-hmm. basically, right? Like, that's right. great. Right. Now let's that's figure right. a solution right. versus the other company in which it was, you're, you're killing me here, right? You're, you're failed, right. and let's get this right. And inevitably, the company in which the researchers were praised for failure mm-hmm. uh, grew and the other one went out of business. Yeah. Yep. It's a simple yep. philosophy. And that's where I would say that's what you take away from this book as a manager of people. Mm-hmm. It's allowing failure, allowing people to to get out there and try. Yep. Unilever. Okay in, in the book, he talks about Unilever. They did over 400 examples of a nozzle to spray basically soap, commercial soap, into or laundry detergent through the manufacturing process. And they needed a nozzle that did the job right. And they just started, they, they would try one, it wasn't perfect, they tried another, they tried another, over over 400 times till they got a nozzle that, that worked. And they weren't punished for, you know. Right, that's part know, of the process. Exactly, right? And they didn't settle for, okay, right? And, you know, the Dyson vacuum cleaner, he did over 8,000 prototypes of his vacuum. That's crazy. It is. And most other companies, they stop around 100. It's good enough, right? But he kept going. And, you know, now he's worth billions. So it does, really is that. Does the book get into the, the whole concept of fear? It, it, it only gets into fear in as much as we've got to give up our fear of failure, you know. I mean, and it doesn't address how to do that, and that may be in a strengths book, or maybe in something that's more psychological. But there's, there is, you know, we have we have this fear of failure, and society has ingrained that into us. You know, we we idolize the successes in world in the world, even to the extent of looking at like Olympic athletes or, or movie stars and how great they are, but we don't look at the twenty or forty years it took them to get there. Right? We just look at where they are now. That's all we care about. And it really is, it really is us as individuals having to be, oh wow, I have a fear of trying that. Or I'm afraid I'm gonna fail, or I'm afraid somebody's gonna see my failure. And we have to be able to give it up to really make a difference and try some be willing to try something over and over and over again. 
It will be in the four agreements that I am about Aha. to make. <laughs> to be continued. That's a great teaser That's for the right. next episode. Yes. <laughs> the Executive Book Review Podcast is a production of the Executive Book Review. For more information, visit executivebookreview.com. The podcast was recorded at the My Education Solutions Studio, and our theme music is by Kevin McLeod and used under the Creative Commons license. All right, that's good. That's very good. I liked that one. There is no failure, only learning. Is that what you said? There is no failure. What was your Chinese thing? There is yes, only. Fa- I don't know if I said that, but that's good. There is. Say that again. I there is no change. failure, only 